Welcome to WP Tonic, episode 117. We got a great panel today, and we're today we're discussing email plugins, strategies, and marketing tips for WordPress. Uh, before I let the panel introduce themselves, uh, we're going to discuss some news stories. But before that, want to remind you, WP Tonic is a uh, service that if you're a designer or developer and you're overwhelmed with your legacy clients. Uh, they can partner with you to deal with all your legacy clients, kind of take over some of that uh, simple maintenance uh, that you don't have time for. Uh, for the WP Tonic podcast, we encourage you to go to iTunes, leave us a review, and subscribe. Those things really help other people find this in iTunes. And with that, I'm going to let the panel introduce themselves. Uh, starting, we'll go clockwise. Sally. Hi, my name is Sally Getchen. I actually have sound this week. Uh, I uh, <coughs> do uh, WordPress development and consulting at WPFangirl.com, and I'm the organizer of the East Bay WordPress meetup in Oakland, California. Jackie? I'm Jackie D'Elia with Jackie D'Elia Design, and I work with clients to help build their brand and drive their engagement. And I am also the host of Rethink.fm, a new WordPress podcast. Woohoo. And Kim. Yeah. I'm Kim Schivler. I teach people how to build WordPress websites and online courses. You can find me at howtobuildanonlinecourse.com. I also have a podcast called eCourse Stories where I interview entrepreneurs who have built online courses. We almost went into pod fade, but we're launching again next week next week after a little technical difficulty. And congrats on your new one, Jackie. Thank you. Now definitely go and subscribe to that one too. Uh, and I, I'm John Locke. Uh, I run a small WordPress consultancy in Sacramento called Lockdown Design and help local businesses uh, with their local SEO, uh, help them get a little bit more out of their WordPress site. And for brick and mortar companies, I help them with their e-commerce. Uh, so before we get into the main topic today, there is a pretty big news story going on uh, on WP Tavern. Uh, they're writing about headways, headway themes future is uncertain amidst financial troubles. Uh, so Sally, what did, what did you make of this? Um, well, I had not heard anything about that uh, before reading the article. Uh, and, uh, you know, just a few days ago, I bought a copy of Headway once and it looked sort of interesting, but not my thing. So I, I didn't follow up with it. Um, and, you know, just a day or so after that uh, article came out, I got an email from Headway saying, you know, version 4.07 or whatever it is, you know, is available. Um, and, uh, you know, I went and read this article and it sounded sort of, hmm. Uh, and then I went and read that uh, follow-up article uh, that uh, somebody pointed out. It's in our... Slack channel. If I can scroll back up to it, it was Market Server Press, right? It was at it was at Server Press that he said, you know, um, you know, we actually don't know very much about whether uh, there are real financial troubles or uh, you know what's going on. Um, 
because we haven't heard all that much. You know, some of this is unsubstantiated, and what we know is some people have experienced problems and not had responses, and then later there was a response. Uh, And, you know, the guy who does Headway is also busy doing... uh, it's Pressmatic. It's a competitor to, to server press. Uh, and it sounds like he might just be a little overwhelmed. And, you know, it'll be kind of interesting to see how this plays out. But it is a, a real demonstration of the fact that if something starts stirring up and you don't respond immediately, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of rumor and speculation out there. And it will be much harder to get on top of uh, if you wait uh, than if you say something right away, even if you can't say very much uh, right away uh, to reassure people. And I'd hope we'd have uh, Adam uh, Silver on this morning because he actually uses Headway and I wondered if he might know more about it, but uh, he has a very busy schedule. And he's, he's feeling under the weather today. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. So, yeah, and, yeah, and I agree with what you're saying. Um, the speculation fills the vacuum. Um, you know, Jackie, uh, did you have a chance to look at this story and, and what were your thoughts? I did. Um, it's okay. Well, okay. Let me, let me roll it back just a second because sure. I had visited Pressmatic's website a few weeks ago and looks like my monitor is frozen yeah you're you're you are frozen in an unflattering position unfortunately we we can hear you that's all right i have a way to fix that i have my little pseudo command let me try that oh that's right we're seeing live fixing Mm. don't know if it's gonna work Uh, yeah it might be that this hooks into something a little different it does. Yes. Let me bow out and I'll come back. Yeah. Sure. All Absolutely. Right. Okay. Kim. Uh, so did, you know, what, what were your thoughts on this? Did, you know, uh, did the tavern, were they out of line and saying like, Hey, you, Ooh, it's financial trouble or what were your thoughts on this? I don't know if it was out of line. I think exactly what Sally said. If you are running a premium, selling a premium product and you're not responding right away, that's where the that's where the conversation goes at this point. There's been a lot of up in the air, right, on premium themes. Can you still make money with premium themes? We've even talked about that on, yeah. on our panels, right? So <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah. So I think even more now with that kind of discussion going on. If you're not quick to respond when people are paying for something, that's the next thing. Oh, well, you know, they just, they're going out of business. Right. And it's, I don't think the Tavern article was was super inflammatory. You know, they reported, uh, yeah, I think Jackie might be knocking again, hit the. Okay. I don't see the, I don't see her thing. I don't either. Yeah. Yeah, I don't see it. All right, Jackie, if you're there, make sure to click the camera. Um, I don't think they were particularly inflammatory. I think they'd had, you know, they had basically heard from people that there were subcontractors not being paid, which would suggest financial troubles, but they weren't in a position to verify that information. So we don't really know what that situation is. Um, No, and and I I think that's it is, 
when you don't know, kind of just reporting uh, what you think is going on is, is just naturally what's going to happen. Uh, and, and maybe like, you know, being silent is not the best uh, thing, but, but, you know, I, let's talk about the, the, uh, the competition like article that was on uh server press. I thought that was really poignant. And it said like, look, you know, Hey, uh, we're competitors, but let's get the facts, you know? Yeah. No, I thought, I thought that was very, uh, very upstanding of him. You know, first that he said, you know, let's take a look at this. Here's what we actually know. Here's what you know, there are some rumors about, but we, but we haven't verified it. And yeah, all right, this person is is a competitor, but that's not what we, uh, you know, that's not the thing that matters most here. It's we're not here to like diss our competitors in in this community. We're here to to try to have all of us, you know, make better products and succeed. I yeah. did find his pointing out of the difference in the considering yourself software first versus server first interest uh, interesting as far as a, a business model where he was saying he felt like their his company was had always approached it that they were a service a, a premium support service not a software company and sometimes if you're focusing more on the themes etc the sale of that that you then come across more software focused and the level of support is not always in the mindset with that i found that interesting that he the way he pointed it out and i think he did it without like slamming anybody but it was just an interesting uh having worked for both software and support companies i thought it was an interesting right i mean people who are themselves primarily software developers don't tend to want to spend a lot of time on support they're you know people like pip and williamson are very unusual in in that respect uh you know they people who are really developers they want to build stuff you know and they'll fix it if it's if it if it's broken but you know, they, they prefer the company of code to the company of humans. Um, and, you know, whereas if you're saying this business is a service, you're much more oriented toward, I need to be interacting with, with my customers and, and clients, you know, regularly and, and frequently. Um, no, I agree. Jackie. Uh, do I'm you, back. Do you... We'll see how long it lasts, right? Uh, right. Wow. Okay, so yeah, my take was, like I said, I had visited Pressmatic's website a few weeks ago. Um, somebody had sent me a link or I had read something and it was, I was curious about it. It looked like some, a product I might want to use. One of the things that I noticed that the, the, their business model was a little different. You just buy a license. It wasn't like an annual subscription or anything. And I, was, I worry a little bit about ongoing support or the product aging and just some things like that. So I was a little concerned about that. The other thing that struck me was the the site didn't appear to be finished. There wasn't like a terms of service or a privacy policy on there. Just some basic things on uh, an e- a website where you would have e-commerce or you'd be making a purchase. Um, I would have liked to see. And it wasn't clear on the website who owned the product or who who were the developers or nothing and there was no about us or why why this product was being developed or anything that kind of um i was a little uneasy about that and then that kind of ties into the story because it sounds like you know not everybody knows who's behind prismatic and maybe there were some but i agree with you all that communication is the problem here so stories get all out of hand when you don't respond and you don't answer and the prismatic site is another example of just some poor communication there. So I, if it was me, I would be looking at really 
firming that up and making communication uh, a bigger part of how I ran my business. It's just because that that to me is I was thinking about purchasing that. But after those things happened and things I noticed, I was just I thought, let me wait and just see how things go with this. Yeah. So they, they lost a customer right there. Right. Now, is, is Pressmatic actually available for sale at this point, or is it still yes, kind of in process? As far as I knew, when I was looking at the website, you could. You could purchase version one. Yeah. yeah you can, I think there's a big a button there when you land there. It says, get Pressmatic now. So you can buy it right then and there on the website. Right. I, I guess it is a little awkward trying to figure it at what state of completion to, to go live with with something, you know, and, and to keep up the, make sure the website is at least as finished as the product. <laughs> well, to me, like, if you're going to be selling anything, just basic privacy policy in terms of service are really kind of, and refund policy, those kind of things. You those are very that if important. You may want to going to be before other stuff. Putting a purchase button on your site, even if it's just a beta thing, those things should be there. That's all. That, that was my only my only point on that. I'm not it's not like the end of the world or anything. It was just it was a cause of concern for me. So I'm assuming it could be a cause of concern for some other people as well. And it just was um, indicative of the communication issue, which seems to be what everybody here was focusing and saying, you know, yeah, it's just a lack of communication. And when you have a void in communication, people tend to fill it with whatever they think. No, that's a great point. Um, communication is really the key to any business. Uh, and and right. when there's, yeah. I think we got time for one more news story here. So uh, there's a news story on Pagely, how to create accessible WordPress websites. And this is like pretty cool because I think WordPress more than a lot of other platforms. And, uh, and Daphne Backman says it's, it's totally important. Uh, but I think WordPress, more than a lot of platforms, actually uh, tries to make things accessible. Uh, so, Sally, uh, you know, I know that you know accessibility. You know, uh, how important is that? I, I think it's important, and, and I'm glad that it's being, you know, that people are starting to learn more about it. We had a meetup about accessibility this last, uh, in, in July, and, you know, it's a, it's a thing that I, I try to increasingly uh, include and, and think about in projects. I, I find that I've become much more aware about, uh, you know, things like visual contrast or, you know, n- navigating through something by tabs is like, wait, you know, if I press the, if I hit the tab, I expect it to go to that field and it's going to that field instead. And, you know, oh, you know, this is this is annoying for me. It's going to be annoying for other people. You know, we need to be able to to fix that in in some way. There, there's a whole lot of stuff that falls under the umbrella of accessibility. But I think, you know, anything you can do uh, is uh, is better than not doing anything. I agree. Kim, why, why is accessibility important when we're designing websites? obviously to to meet the needs of the most viewers of the most people coming to the site it was something i have to admit that i paid almost no attention to until wordcamp us last december 
Mm -hmm. Other than up until then, I was paying attention to my alt tags, you know, making sure that those got in there for the readers. But other than that, I was not paying attention to the tabbing through. And which is funny because I started out being complete keyboard before we had mice. So usually I would think I would pay attention to keyboard strokes, keystrokes, but I wasn't. And I wasn't paying attention to contrast colors and things like that. And I sat down with the um, accessibility team the day we did the workday post WordCamp. And it was just like eye-opening at how much wasn't accessible on my site if you were using a screen re reader. My tabs actually were okay, even though I hadn't paid attention to them. It was just the theme handled that okay. But the, uh, the way I was doing things for the screen reader was really, really messed up. So I think that that was a big eye-opener. And I've been, like Sally, trying to think of that more as I build out sites and also starting to incorporate it when I teach solopreneurs how to build sites, that these are things they need to think of and implement when they're building. No, I agree. Uh, I think a lot of times, you know, when we're designing, we're designing, you know, kind of with other designers in mind and, hey, this looks cool. And the most, some of the most common things that I see are really easily fixable, like small fonts, uh, you know, bad color contrast where things are really unreadable, um, forms are a lot of times like not set up to be accessible. Uh, you know, like you mentioned, like the, the, the tab index, uh, these are all things that can be done, but I think, you know, a lot of people don't put themselves in the shoes. I think where it changed for me was the San Francisco last word camp, uh, in 2014. And, uh, one of the talks was on accessibility and, you know, I saw a talk where there's a person that blogs and they can only type like one key at a time. Um, and but they blog all the time, and you know those are the type of people. And I worked with a guy uh, like you know when I worked at the factory, worked alongside me. He was colorblind, and twenty three percent, I think, uh, yeah, uh, suffer colorblindness. It's extremely common. Mm -hmm. So, so accessibility definitely something to keep in mind. I mean, you, these are all people that want to use your site as well, and we need to keep them in mind. Um, so anyway, I think we're going to go to our first break and then we come back, we're going to talk like a main topic, which is email marketing, uh, plugins, strategies, uh, tips for WordPress. All right. And we'll see you after the break. Buying or selling a home in the greater Reno Tahoe area? I know the best CRS real estate broker, and that's Karen Conrad. And you can find her at karenconrad.com or call her directly at 775-527-7021. Okay, we're back from the break. Uh, and we're talking uh, email marketing, email plugins, and email strategies for WordPress Uh Uh, so the first first thing I want to ask uh, the panel, just really quick, you know, why is email marketing important? Uh, you know, do people even still read their email? Why why do we even care about email marketing? You know, for for all that we hear that email is dead, and you know. <laughs> that there are a number of people who don't use it. Uh, you know, every year or so, somebody does a marketing study, and what do you know? Email marketing is still the most effective. Uh, and so, you know, building up a, a, a list to mail to uh, is 
you know, pretty important if you're trying to sell something. I, I confess I am myself terrible about uh, sending out newsletters. I mean, I've, I've set it up so that if people subscribe on my site, they get, you know, my blog posts when I blog. But I was really actually thinking of, you know, sending a, a newsletter regularly to uh, previous clients, you know, to kind of check in, remind them I'm there if they want their site reviewed or redone or, or, or anything like that. Uh, and I've, I, you know, it, I struggle to find the time to blog. I struggle to find the time to do that. But, um, you know, everybody that I've ever heard interviewed about you know, where their sales come from, uh, you know, the, the big number is from your list. Jackie, uh, you know, as far as email marketing, uh, do you think it makes a difference? You know, how much of a difference does it make for the businesses that you work with? It does make a big difference. Uh, I think if you are consistent with your email campaign and it meets the expectations of the people who have subscribed to it, it can be very effective. Uh, there's also many that are not, and I tend to be a really good observer of that for my own behavior. So when I'm thinking about uh, advising somebody about an email campaign, first thing I'm doing is looking, well, how do I react to email campaigns that I receive? And then which ones do I think? Um, there, for me, there's like three categories. There's ones where I typically will always read it. I'm engaged in it. So there's the reason for that. And then there's the one that I just ignore, but I don't unsubscribe, right? So that could probably be the most damaging for somebody who's got a mailing list because there, it really lowers your engagement level and your um, your numbers really uh, are low because of that. So you don't have a lot of, you don't have a high open rate or uh, a click-through rate. The, the last one is the ones where they just annoy you with a very salesy kind of approach and you immediately unsubscribe or, you, or they send too many in a short period of time. So when you're advising, the ones that I typically really enjoy are the ones that have a schedule that I know about. There's a couple of them that I get, like on a Saturday morning, there's one, there's an SEO one that I get, and there's another one called the use letter that I like to read that. And I'll typically read those, which is, for me, is unusual behavior because I get a lot of emails and I don't always read them. So I'm constantly analyzing, why am I... What, what's prompting me to open this and want to read this every week? And a lot of it is it's not salesy. It has valuable information. It's um, timely. I know when to expect it. I'm not getting, if it's a weekly thing, I'm not getting 12 other emails during the week from them about some new thing that's special or something else that's come up. That happens a lot. And I think if you're going to be advising your clients, they need to decide what they want to be because, you know, you're, they're, Retailers are especially guilty of training everybody to just pay attention to sales. So that's all they use that for now. And it's kind of sad because there could be so many other opportunities to reach people and market to them and, and help them. Um, like I've never gotten something from Macy's that wasn't, hey, here's some really cool things that, you know, you could be doing with some, it's like an article about how to things or anything. You never get any of those things. You get this is the big sale, this is the discounts, it's all about that. And so I tend to ignore most of those. So, And I wonder how many other people do as well, and I wonder how really effective that is, and or if it's just a big clutter jam up for, your, for everybody's email box. But that's kind of my thoughts on it. That's a really great point. Kim, um, you know, what, what are the types of emails that you pay attention to you, you know, in your own subscriptions, do you pay attention to ones that like tell you it's email blast 
or um, you know, what are the ones that you really you know actually take time to read? Similar to Jackie, I have certain ones that I read every week. I know when they're coming in. Everything you said, Jackie, on the consistency, uh, high value, et cetera, that's what all the studies show. That's how you keep people engaged. Um, so I'm the same. Now, I do, I have to admit, because like I'm uh, a crazy shopper for certain things like Bed Bath & Beyond, so I don't care if what they're sending me is a sale because I want to see what I'm going to go spend my coupon on that weekend because I go there every weekend and buy something pretty much. I'm a junkie. Um, so in those cases, but yeah, a lot of it, if it's just blast, blast, blast of, of um, sales information, I will delete it or unsubscribe or ignore it. And it just piles up in my mail, my email. Um, I think what you see a lot of people where you mentioned, Jackie, how it's dangerous if you're that one, you're the people who are getting it, not unsubscribing, and then it's just killing the engagement for that person. What I've been seeing a lot of people lately is if you stop engaging, they will send you like three emails that if you don't open and engage, then they drop you from their list. I've been seeing a lot of that lately. Yeah. You're Which is fine. Because paying by the subscriber. So I exactly. think having that ability to prune your list based on the engagement of them. If you've got somebody who has been subscribed to your email list for six months and has never opened an email from you ever, um, then you might want to just unsubscribe them. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Uh, and I find I still though get my my best engagement from my email, and I'm really bad about the consistency. I've been promising my list I'll try to be I will work to be more consistent, but I do provide such high value that they still tend to um, tend to open them when I give them because I it's not just the links to my blog, etc. It'll be a complete private lesson just for them with video, maybe a thousand words a whole little mini class right in that email. And which is part of why it makes it hard to get it done, you know, once a week or twice a week, because it's a lot there. No, I think that's a really great point. Uh, consistency, I, I think in anything, if you're doing anything, whether it's like email marketing, whether it's publishing on YouTube, whether it's releasing a podcast or writing a blog, consistency teaches people to expect to see your message. Um, so that leads into a really great question. Sally, what do you think is the perfect schedule or is there a perfect schedule for how often you send out emails to, keep, to build that relationship? I think it really depends on the kind of content you're sending. So, um, for instance, two of the emails that I read pretty much every single time they, they send them are uh, the Daily Skim which is a summary of what's been going on in the news that I, you know, since I don't really have that much time to follow the news and it, you know, it comes out every day and it's not super long and I will read it, not necessarily like the second it arrives, but I will generally read it by the end of the day so that I'm not totally out of the loop. Um, and this week in Genesis, uh, you know, because I want to know what's, uh, what's going on, uh, you know, with uh, the theme framework that I build sites for clients in. Um, so, you know, that's one that's daily and, and, and one that's uh, weekly. And uh, I, it 
kind of depends on your content. You shouldn't, you know, people have, have talked about, you know, there's, there's a question I've heard discussed a lot about how long should a podcast be? And it's like, as long as your content is interesting, um, you know, you shouldn't make it longer in order to, this is part of the thing about podcasting. You don't have to make it longer in order to have a consistent show length because you're not dealing with airtime and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and you don't have to keep it super short if you're doing something that's really interesting and, and people are engaged in. Uh, but, uh, you know, I would not want most of the email newsletters I'm subscribed to to come every day because it, they accumulate and I can't, you know, and, and I'm not too bothered by, okay, if it's, you know, if I'm just really crunched on a, on a project and I don't have time for, for these things, you know, I will delete them or, or mark them as read. And then when I have a little more time, I'll, I'll start reading. It's not that I want to unsubscribe. It's that I have to prioritize. Um, but I have made a point of if I realize that I am just never opening these, you know, I'm going to unsubscribe unclutter my, my mailbox, you know, uh, let, give them the, you know, the space for people who are, are more interested in, in what they're saying. So I think you just have to consider what it is that you're, uh, you know, what it is, is that you're, you're producing and what kind of schedule is, is reasonable. And, uh, you know, I think it is good to have, if you're thinking about, you know, publishing daily or, you know, even setting up the, you know, the subscribe to my blog, uh, you know, if you're blogging daily, uh, you might want to give people an option to say, you know, get the weekly digest in, instead if they find it an email every day too overwhelming. No, I think that's a great point. And Jackie, uh, is weekly uh, email newsletters uh, just right? Should you go more often, a little bit less? What, what do you think is a good schedule? The ones that I enjoy are the weekly ones, and Genesis, the Genesis Guide is a perfect example of one of those. And Nuts and Bolts Media, she has a nice one that comes out every mm -hmm. day that just has the latest stuff. I do enjoy that one, too, because that one's really short and to the point, and it's I know what to expect with that one. The, the weekly ones seem to work very well. I, For me, I think if you're going to want to have different types of emails that you're going to be sending out, then you should really segment your list and give people that option to either subscribe to, you could have a monthly newsletter and you could say, you know, subscribe to my monthly newsletter, or I send out weekly updates about this, or send me special announcements and things and give people some control over what they'd like to receive. This way, when you are writing those emails and you're targeting that, you're not just sending it out to everybody who maybe when they signed up was expecting to get an email when you have a new blog post and they're like, well, what is all this other stuff I'm getting now? And that's a clear, um, you know, scenario where you're going to get people starting to unsubscribe where they're what they thought they were going to get and what uh, they're actually receiving. And also go and do an audit on your site and see where you have your sign-up forms and what it is you're saying there. Uh, you know, if you, things have changed for you and, you know, eight months down the road, you're writing about different things and you're doing different things, but you never went back and updated your website as far as what you would be receiving if you subscribe. Um, that's that consistency with that too, is go and update those messages or go and create some separate lists that give people those options to um, subscribe to those other things. If you've all of a sudden become a photography buff and you want to start and you're starting to sprinkle photography things into your blog about some other unrelated um, site that you're running, 
then, you know, give people an option to subscribe to that. But don't just change things up on people unexpectedly, I think, is the other thing. And then avoid all of that salesy stuff. It's just as soon as I'm very, my radar goes right up immediately. It's like every time I start getting these drip email campaigns, they don't work for me because I know exactly where we're going with this. And it's almost like, could we just fast forward to the end and be done with it because I'm not going to buy it or I'm, I'm going to unsubscribe? It, to me, if if it's something I'm really interested in, a product I want, I'm going to either buy it. I don't need 10 days of emails to convince me to do something. I I think it must work on some people because it there are I'm not that person, so I have to remember that I'm not a gauge for everybody. How my how I behave is not the rule for everybody else. So. There's obviously people that really get value out of that and actually decide to make a purchase after receiving an email, what, every day for the next 10 days. It works for them. You know, I I hate long copy sales pages. Uh, (laughs) You know, they just, and it's like, first, you know, just tell me how much it costs already because, you know, if I can't afford it, it doesn't matter how valuable I find it. I'm not going to buy it. Uh, And, uh, but, you know, they still work. People would not create them if they didn't still work. So you need to know something about how your own readers uh, like things and 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 what they respond to. And you know, I think the people who are, you know, they have huge lists and they're they're basically all about sales. They're going to you know kind of pick the stuff that's sort of statistically most likely to be effective. You know, do a little A/B testing, and it, and it may, that may be stuff that is offensive to some of us, but it's their business still does really well out of it. Yeah, right. Well, we we're all in the techie arena. We've got probably that similar. I'm the same. I want to just 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 tell me what it is, and I'll tell you if I'll buy it. Smartest thing a business coach ever said to me is, "You're not your target audience." Who's your target audience and how do they buy? And that's what you need to do because those drips do work for a certain uh, level of the population. The other thing, Jackie, that you pointed out that as far as making sure you're giving the the readers what they want, that's where you want to make sure you're picking a platform that gives you really good list segmentation, right? So the people who are wanting my online course stuff are not necessarily wanting the beginning WordPress stuff. And, and so it's about being able to make sure you're letting people select that and then you're using those lists appropriately to make sure you're getting to, to those. And for example, I even have, I do Twitter cards where I actually uh, gather emails. You, you can actually do that directly from your Twitter page if you know how to build a Twitter card. But those go into a completely separate list because I figure someone coming to me through Twitter has possibly a different look at it than someone just coming through my website and I even segregate it further that way as opposed to just that they were interested in online courses but that they actually came from Twitter and try to make it uh, be more Twitter like even when I communicate with them oh, that's, a, that's a really good point um, being able to, to segment and, and knowing what your customers are signing up for is, is really important um, Daphne in the chat room says uh I like weekly subscriptions, but if there's infrequent special editions, I'll read those too. Uh, I like the consistency and knowing that I can count on something coming out at the same time each week. And she says she's also signed up for one reason and then received a totally different type of email. 
and and that's what we want to uh, avoid. Um, we're gonna go ahead and go to our second break, and then at the end, we're gonna uh, talk. You know, the plugins and um, you know the, the kind of the technical things that we use to collect emails. All right. So we'll see you after the break. Want to turn your WordPress website into an online speed machine? Go on over to WP Tonic. They'll set up DigitalOcean websites hosting on solid state drives. And while you're there, don't forget to sign up for WP Tonic's maintenance packages. WP Tonic offers some of the very best WordPress maintenance packages on the market. So those who are serious about getting the very best platform for their WordPress sites, make sure you go on over to wp-tonic.com. Okay, we're back. Um... I'm talking with the panel, Sally Getch, Kim Schivler, and Jackie Delia. Uh, I want to ask Sally, um, you know, what kind of email services have you used in the past? You used MailChimp, Constant Contact, AWeber. What's your experiences with that? I have a deep dislike for Constant Contact, um, but, you know, some of my clients use it. Uh, and uh, I like MailChimp pretty well. It's not sufficient for everybody, but if you are one of those, if you're one of those people like me, who has a list of fewer than 100 people, uh, it's a pretty good deal. Um, and, uh, you know, I've worked occasionally in the past with a Weber and a, and a, a couple of the others. I, I find with most people, it's, you know, it's, it's, MailChimp, it's constant contact, or it's something really um, uh, niche. Like I do a website for a yoga teacher, and she uses an email service called Namaste Light, um, which I had never heard of prior to that. Uh, and, uh, you know, the problem with things like that is that there tend to be fewer integrations, and it's it maybe a little trickier to, you know, to get a decent form that isn't there horrible. Uh, you know, I hate attempting to fix the styles on forms that, that you've you know copied and pasted the code from one of these services it's it's just appalling uh, so what i try to do is is you know sometimes on a genesis site the enews extended plugin will work all right um and very often i just use gravity forms i mean i had a, a situation with a client who had um you know a, a fairly large and and segmented list so you know he wanted to ask extra questions in order to, you know, determine which list to put people on and also gather a, quite a bit of other information. So I, I, you know, built the form and gravity forms and it um, batches it over to his uh, MailChimp. He was in the process of switching from constant contact to MailChimp when I did his website. Um, and uh, then on a, a, a political campaign site that I was looking at, I ended up uh, signing the client up with SendGrid and using the MailPoet uh, plugin because you get a, with SendGrid, you get something like a 12,000 person list uh, for free and, and you can do a bunch of things. You know, it goes, you, you create the, you create the post in, within WordPress, you create the newsletter, but it sends it out not through your your you know WP mail function, which would be appalling, uh, but through uh, SendGrid and and you can set SendGrid up so that it matches your domain and is it's good for uh, validation and and stuff. So, you know that's a nice uh, option. There there are a lot of tools out there, and if you are somebody who develops sites, you're going to encounter a, a number of them. Um, if you are uh, somebody who is you know a, a business person just 
starting out with having a, a website and a mailing list, I think MailChimp is a pretty good place to start. Totally. Um, Jackie, do you know what, what, what kind of services have you used and, and what do you find uh, is, is appropriate for different styles of businesses? Well, a lot of it is basically what Sally just said. So I agree. I, um, I like, I use MailChimp for my own purposes and I have heard of ConvertKit. I know um, Jonathan was mentioning that on there and I have looked at it. Um, I haven't decided if it'd be something that would be right for me to switch to for, for basic, for what my needs are. MailChimp works for me because it, it gives me the segmentation of my list. And I use Genesis eNews extender primarily with client sites for um, those basic email signups where, you know, you just want to sign up for their newsletter, things like that. That works out really well. Um, I've used gravity forms as well to move things over into MailChimp. I used constant contact, maybe, seven or eight years ago um, for my e-commerce business. I think that was probably one of the, really the only things. AWeber was around, but th there wasn't very much else besides constant contact to use. The biggest complaint that I've got out of all of those things is the templates and everything, it's, it is very difficult to work in quickly and efficiently. I, I find it's very slow. It's, I think it's an obstacle to getting content out a lot of times. And uh, what I've started to do now is to write my content up in a completely separate text file and um, not spend so much time in like a MailChimp editor to write out all of this content. And because just formatting the images and all of the things like that, it's just, it's a whole, it's like, you, it's like building an, a page in WordPress, you know. It's just but, but worse, because email styling is so limited and so inconsistent between mail clients. Yes. So it is that that is that is the part that I think is the obstacle that if somebody can if somebody really smart is thinking, well, how can I figure out a way to maybe let you put this somewhere else and feed that into that? That might be a great uh, service to offer along those lines. The so so I use. Um, Genesis eNews Extender, I've used Gravity Forms for that. Those are the kind of the basic things. I wouldn't recommend Constant Contact. Um, I see some people use Mad Mimi. I've seen some other ones that, uh, and this Convert Kit is another one that's been mentioned a lot. I know Chris Lemma had written um, a post not too long ago about it, and some folks I know in the Genesis community are trying it. So it, I'm interested to hear um what the differences are. And I'm also interested to see if it, is it actually easier to use? I think that for me is going to be what would be a draw for me is things. And MailChimp is fairly easy to use as far as setting it up. And, you know, they've got a nice little process. They take you through a, you know, step one, step two, step three to get something out. So that, that works fine. I just think the whole visual designing elements are, they've got a ways to go on that. It's like uh, they're expecting people to write HTML in there. And if you want your client in there working on building, it's just not feasible. I, I really, I can do it because I know how to write HTML and I prefer to, I prefer to work that way. So for me, I'm okay with it, but I can't see, I can see where that would be challenging for people to get things formatted, lined up properly. I, I get clients ask me all the time, well, I can't get the header image in there. It's not lining up properly. And it's, I think they could do a better job on that. But uh, a lot of times, though, I have to say, 
the emails that I enjoy reading are the ones that are not so flashy with a bunch of images and a bunch of design elements in it, but it's some nicely formatted text that's large enough that I can read it and broken up enough where I can scan it. Those are things you want to be thinking about when you're doing a newsletter like that. And I don't know if we're talking about those things, but I mean, just formatting things so that it's digestible for people. Because if you're Anybody who gets an email, they scan. That's what we're doing when we open it up. We're scanning it. So if you lay it out so that it's it's optimal for people to scan it and figure out what areas they do want to read about, you know, use good headings, break things up, small paragraphs. Those are things that would help with um, the readability of a of an email campaign. Totally, Kim. Agreed. Um, I started with Mailchimp. The challenge for me with Mailchimp was. In order to do the, any of the drips, and I do drip courses, you mo- it moved you into a paid-for plan. And once you went into a paid-for plan, some of the other premium ones are easier to use, more functional, have better templates, et cetera. So that's when I started playing in the market, and I used ActiveCampaign, and I used ConvertKit, and I tried Infusionsoft, but we won't go there. And I um, Because that was just way more than what I needed, and it's not the kind of platform I wanted. So I ended up on GetResponse because it was kind of, gave me more options and pretty easy templates. It was the easiest templates I had found for when I want to use the templates that, that they have. And yet the price was not as high as the, uh, it was still a little fairer price than some of the active campaigns and convert kits. Now I do know though, and so I, Active Campaign just sent me something that they just did a big overhaul and they have a whole bunch of new, what they say, friendly templates and all. So perhaps I just don't know what they've offered now. Uh, but that's where I set on on that, uh, why I ended up with GetResponse. I have had a few people say they did not, they quit using it because they were having trouble with emails getting through. I haven't had that issue yet. And then the same as everybody else, sending out of my sites, I use SendGrid for that. I used to choose, I used to use SendGrid for everything, and I just I, I think that they're as a email marketing, they're not there yet. They need to do some work. But as the SMTP por- portion, I've had a really good success with them setting up both my own sites and back when I did. Uh, client sites as far as particularly shopping carts, et cetera, and making sure those mails got through. Yeah. I mean, the, the, what they call SendGrid is that it's for, you know, quote, transactional emails. So, you know, if you have noticed that you're having trouble with people getting their, you know, their WooCommerce receipts, or, you know, if somebody sends a password change request or, it's, you know, then there's a there's an issue uh, where you need to use, uh, you know, a real SMTP server and not uh, the WP mail function. No, that's a really good point. Yes, really and point. and uh, uh, Jonathan is just saying that his uh, mail write uh, uh, tool is based on SendGrid. Yeah, that is an important thing right. when you're building out a site and uh, th- is make sure you test all of those things out. I mean, that's typically what I have clients do is, you know, go ahead, fill out forms, make sure you're getting your emails, make sure you're getting your notifications and, um, and don't, you know, use different domain emails when you're, when you're submitting things and test it out so that you know that it's, that it's working. 
because that the SMTP is uh, important. Mail guns, another one I think you can use on there. I actually on mine since I use Google um, apps for work. So Google has one, a, a, I think it's a Gmail SMTP, but that one um, syncs to my Google and I can use Google to send out um, my transactional uh, emails for my site. And that works for me and it's free. So that, that's great. Yes. Jonathan is asking about uh, WordPress plugins that use the host provided email system. Um, there are... A few of them, I think. It's like the old um, subscribe to plugin and uh, a few others. And um, you know, you can. I think you can use MailPoet with with your WP Mail function, but they don't recommend it at all. They they tell you, you know, use something like SendGrid. You know, what do you guys use for um, you know signups? Uh, do you use something like Thrive Leads? Something like Optin Monster. I use Optin Monster. Optin Monster. That's a good choice. I uh, have you seen like the welcome mat with Sumo Me? I've seen it, but I haven't tried it yet. I've tried their heat maps and others, but I haven't tried any of their Optin stuff yet. A lot of people swear by that. It's basically uh, like when you first load a page, it will. Uh, there'll be like, it'll take up the full screen. It'll be like an opt-in form at the top of the page. And then yeah. if you scroll down, like it'll, you get the site again. First few times I saw this, it was like really confusing. It's like, it was, it was quite jarring. Lots of people use it now. So I, I've, I've come to expect it, but I find it sort of annoying. You know, I've followed a link to your website. I've maybe never heard of you. I haven't read your article. And the first thing you're asking me to do is subscribe to something that I don't know what I, whether I want yet. I, I think that, the exit, you know, pop-ups make more sense uh, in terms of okay, you've read something, uh, you know, and and if you get to the to the end of the post or at least sort of into the middle of the post before you're being prompted to to subscribe for more, it, it, you're in a better position to make a decision. Yeah, I'm going to invite Jackie back in because I don't know what's going on with Jonathan. I'm the same, Sally. I love the exit. And that's the one thing I really like with Optin Monster. There's certain things I don't like about them. I did not like the big changes they made last year. But I love the exit because it's, it's, a, it's a chance to say, you know, hey, I, even if it's not opt-in to my newsletter, you know, it's like you were here. Is there something I can help you with? Was there something missing? Was there something you'd like more of? And it gives you a chance to open up that, that connection without hitting them in the face initially. I feel the same. No, and I definitely think that exit intent, like pop-ups, that's the place to do it. Uh, what are your thoughts on this, Jackie? Oh, uh, like- I totally agree. I, I use Optin Monster, and that's the one part that I like. And I actually take it a little further. I, you know, you can configure it so that it only pops up maybe after the second or third page that they've read or the third article that they've gone through. So you basically. For me, I'm trying to time it where somebody has shown interest in what I'm doing on the site or what I wrote and maybe is on the second post or read read another article and have gotten more than halfway down the page or something like that so that you can you can gauge whether or not you're really being intrusive or you're actually maybe being helpful at that point when saying, hey, you know, if you'd like to receive these posts um, when they're released, you know, you can sign up right here. That's way better than the annoying, as soon as you land on the page, it 
blackens and then you get a pop-up thing in the middle that asks you to subscribe and of course like um, Sally was saying I haven't even read anything yet what were or was it Kim that said that I don't remember but one of y'all said that that you know it's like you haven't even read anything yet you don't know if you want to subscribe you don't even know if you have an interest in this website so I think that's um, placing it with the exit intent and then for you know for whatever metrics that you want you know if you want to wait and see if they've looked at a couple of pages before you do it that's perfectly fine and it doesn't do it again for 30 days i like those i like those features it's more user friendly yes uh, jonathan is back in his other identity okay what's his other identity join. i don't see him i'll pop out mail right there he mail is. right okay. okay somebody build okay Anyway, yeah, um, so people who are like, you know, Optin Monster is really good because it gives you a lot of control. Uh, if you're a subscriber to Elegant Themes, you also get access to their Bloom plugin, which, you know, allows you to do the various, like, pop-up uh, forms with various animations, and you can put them, like, all sorts of different places. I think it's really important to, you know, not so much necessarily like having a pop-up, but like having a compelling lead, um, you know, and definitely like being strategic about where, you know, those opt-in forms show up. You know, be Jonathan. Yes, yes. yes. now that yes. you're finally well, here, Jonathan. <laughs> uh, you were desperate to tell I don't us know. something. I've, lo I've lost track there. Dealing with we were talking about we were talking about the different um, subscription forms and, and plugins. I'll just tell you like what I use. Um, uh, I have used like lead in, which is a, a little thing that pops up at the bottom, you know, corner of the page. You see that on different sites. Brennan Dunn has used it in the past. Curtis McHale still uses it. Uh, I've used it before. I think right now I'm just using uh, it's MailChimp for WordPress plugin and then just the embedded form directly from MailChimp. Um, well, it's a, it's a bit like yeah. what Angie um, folks um, our, our next episode before this one, folks. We've right, got right. Angie on the show, and she was talking about that people don't have enough connection, collection points on their website. Obviously, you've got to get enough traffic to make this worth, but just having um, a subscribed area on your sidebar and even just having one form of pop-up isn't enough. She was saying you need at least seven different mythologies for collecting email. Right. There was a study done by I can't remember it was if it was Code and WP or or somebody else, but where they they figured out sort of like you know how many different places they put their uh, email subscription forms and you know what ended up working for them and and it was to have the forms in an awful lot of places. I mean, they managed to do it so that it wasn't like, completely annoying, but sort of, you know, it's like, you know, before before the content, next to the content, in the middle of the content, after the content, you know, the pop-up when you're trying to leave. Uh, and uh, that it, it, it does seem that, you know, super saturation was necessary. I wonder if they're just wearing people out that, that eventually they just give up and say, fine, I'll subscribe. There, there is away. like a parody uh, website that somebody put together uh, not that long ago. I did, can't think of the URL off the top of my head, but it was like that. It was like literally every single, it's like, oh, you should, have you signed up to my thing now? It'd like be a pop-up. You'd scroll a little farther. It'd be in the content and like stuff flying in, like, like, you know, uh, 
just uh, is crazy. And uh, it was just trying to make a point of, you know, we're so focused on getting the sign up, but I think, you know, only half of the people actually know what to do with it once they get those people signed up. It's like that Seinfeld episode where he goes, you know how to take the reservation, but you don't know how to hold the reservation. So the idea is, yeah, you get these people to sign up, but do they stay? Are you writing yep. content to keep them there? Are you are you um, providing what it is you said you were going to do? So, And then, yeah, I'd like to see a study where they measure you know, how many different ways you've got people to sign up on your site, and then how does that compare to the metric of, what is your churn rate on your list too? So that's what I would like to see is if, if adding more adds more people to your list and your churn rate isn't going up, then great. I mean, what's your overall percentage increase in your list happening over month after month using that strategy? Yep. Uh, one last thing before we wrap up the podcast part of the show, Kim, Kim uh, is in the chat room, uh, Kim Schiller, she was just here, said the study I read had multiple spots because the key was different lead magnets. For example, some people had one on each blog post that had a lead magnet specific to the topic. Um, it, and I think that's a great point. Um, you know, the, the key isn't necessarily different spots. It's like having different lead magnets. And and that there was something, it's like if you can have a specific lead magnet uh, keyed to the the content on that specific page, then people are already interested in what's on that page, and they're like, okay, here's more. Say if you have a page on SEO, here's a offer around SEO. If you have a page on development, here's you know a offer around development. You know, and just examples like that. So anyway, what we're gonna do? We're gonna wrap up the podcast part of the show, um, and. There is more. The content continues on on YouTube. Uh, you can definitely subscribe. Uh, just search WP-Tonic and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, we're trying to reach 100 subscribers, so uh, go ahead and do that. And if you want to uh, also find these episodes on WP-Tonic.com, that would be awesome. And uh, leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe. Uh, so, panel... Sally, how, how do we find you? You can find me at WPFangirl.com or I am at Sally Getch on Twitter and a number of other places. Very nice. Jackie, how do we find you? You can find me at JackieDelia.com and on Twitter at JDelia. Jonathan? Oh, you can get to me at WPTonic or at John, or my Twitter tag is at Jonathan Denwood. Um, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and just like give props to Kim really quick. Uh, I know that you can find her, her website, uh, whitegloveweptraining.com and her Twitter handle is Kim Schivler. Um, and you can find me, uh, my Twitter handle is lockdown underscore and my website's lockdowndesign.com. Uh, we're going to wrap up the podcast. Remember, uh, you can catch the extras on YouTube and on the website. Mm-hmm.